Good afternoon. This is Dan again coming to you on the Spiritual Underground Podcast. We are on location today at a pretty special place here in New Albany. Um, we're at a, at a women's recovery home called The Breakaway. Uh, I'm sitting here. Today's guest is, is the founder of that. And uh, we'll get back to that in just a minute. But I want to make sure I talk to you about spiritualunderground.org. You can go there and get links to the podcast. There's a contact me page. So if you want to uh, get a hold of me and talk to me about this stuff, uh, I'd be willing to help you. Or I'm also open, really want to get any feedback I can get from uh, people. And the music around the podcast is brought to you by Darren Frank. Uh, really want to make sure he uh, gets his credit here. You'll hear a little bit of it in the beginning of the podcast. And then, uh, and then towards the end, I'll play a whole song. Uh, and 12-Step Spiritual Recovery. Uh, the book by James Christopher Cohn is available on Amazon. You can get that in a Kindle or you can get that in a hard copy. And there are now two volumes. So you can get the whole thing. Or for some, if you just want to get one piece of it, he's broke it in two now. So it's, and you can actually get it in two volumes. One of them is the uh, way the spiritual sickness uh, invades us. For those that maybe uh, don't have the isms, the alcoholism or the addiction, uh, let you know how just, um, how our spirits get stepped on as we uh, walk along in life. And, and, um, the second part of it is the actual step work, the, the mechanics of it. So you can get that in two pieces now if you want to. Uh, Amazon has that 12-step spiritual recovery uh, by James Christopher Cohn. And uh, finally, go to DTM Woodwork, dtmww.net. If you have any woodworking uh, needs, uh, refinishing custom woodwork, uh, go out there and take a look at that. That's my little side gig. Uh, so back to today's guest. Uh, I've been trying to get with Lisa for some time now uh to get her story and she's a really busy person and uh she was doing the had a little th- uh, particular project that she needed to get behind her before she wanted to do this and that happened in may the dancing uh what is it called uh breakaway dancing breakaway dancing so it's a fundraiser for the breakaway right yes. essentially yeah so she did that so welcome to the show lisa thank you yeah thank i've been uh, yeah i'm really glad that you did i, I get a little worried now just speak it to i go well Maybe somebody just doesn't want to, and that's okay. You know, I mean, I don't. I certainly wouldn't want to like feel like I coerce somebody to. And I know that we're also busy too. You know, so uh, I was getting to go, man. I hope she don't think I'm like overpressing her uh, to come. But it really, we met, and you've had a huge impact on me. And it's really been uh, your story is just fantastic, and I just have been wanting to uh, to get it recorded here so that other people can hear it. Uh, I'll be frank on this account too. You know, I read the newspaper about you and that kind of stuff, and it's always in these little bitty clips and this kind of thing. You know, and I'm not sure that you're like the and and, and we walk around to 12 step recovery and talk our story, so those people hear the real story. But you know, I, the real story doesn't get out there really. It's it comes out in sound bites and through the through the mainstream media, for lack of a better way to say that. So I'm uh, hoping that maybe uh, this will be a little more in depth about 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 what has uh the miracles that happened in your life and, and and how you got there so the way i always start with people my little deal is just to start with an easy question and i should have probably prompted you beforehand but uh, i always think i think it's important that we have a sobriety date so i always ask somebody what their sobriety date is and then uh and we'll talk a little bit about how you were raised and and, and walk down the path that brought you to here okay um well my name is lisa and i'm an alcoholic addict and uh, my sobriety date is August the 6th of 2013. That is cool. That's uh, So we met in 2014 at, at Jerry's meditation meeting, I'm pretty sure. If my yes. memory is correct, I remember. And you were having your legal issues at the same time that I was having mine. And that kind of put a connection, you know, when we could walk along and we go, uh, 
yeah, I know what you mean. I'm in the same boat, you know, or similar boat when we're when we're dealing with things, the consequences of what the disease, the the addiction and alcoholism did to us. So I will I will remember that forever. Uh, yes, I remember you shared a little bit because you gave me hope uh, because you had pled out and was on I think house arrest yeah. as well when yeah. I met you. Yeah, I couldn't really remember exactly how the timeline, and I, and I also say that when I tell my own story. If I go back and actually try to do it in chronological order, it really doesn't work. You know, I can't really put it, the timeline doesn't work. I can't I can't put pieces together. Now, I know it's all the truth, but I can't go, and so I, I actually hesitate, and I make sure that people don't go, well, it was August, and they try to pull dates, like real hard dates, because the mm-hmm. listener really doesn't care if it was August the 3rd or October the 5th or... <laughs> Uh, except for the sobriety date. I think that one is important. So uh, where'd you grow up? Paoli, Indiana. Uh, I lived there all my life, born there, and went to school there. Uh, and actually lived there until um, I moved down here and got in recovery. Oh, yeah? So all the way to, that's not so long ago. Well, I was here, I had a relapse. I was down here in 2006, and stayed clean sober for five years and relapsed in 2010. Oh, okay. So I guess I've been down here off and on since 2006. Yeah. Well, I heard you uh, talking about somebody a few minutes ago, and, and uh, I don't want to drag him into this big time, but I heard you, the thing that caught my ear was that she keeps coming back, you know, and I'm a product to keep coming back too. And, and that sounds like you, you know, that's, I had to keep coming, keep trying, keep trying, keep trying in order to get what I have today. Finally, one day, you know, they say keep coming back till the miracle happens, right? Yes. And that is the truth. Yes. I don't care how many times uh, people come back through the program as long as they keep coming back and that we love them with open arms because they need that. And Absolutely. sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I never give up on anybody. Um, and like I said, I, I, I frequently say I'm a product of keep coming back. Uh, how'd your, what, give me a little bit of information about how you grew up. What was the uh, circumstances, you know, anything you think might be pertinent. One of the things that I have found is as people sit across the table from me and tell their stories, uh, for me, I knew I had this, now looking back in the rearview mirror, I knew I had this disease before I ever took a drink. I knew yes. that I was irritable discontent as a child and that I just couldn't fit in and I wasn't comfortable in my own skin. So usually there's some there's some story back there that uh, I think that's really important because as the book tells us, the alcohol is just a symptom of, of it. We mm-hmm. have an underlying malady that began for me when I was a child. So I always try to hit on a little of that too while we're here at the microphone. Yes. Um, I believe that alcoholism and drug addiction, addiction in general is a is a family disease. Yeah. Um, so in my family, my both of my grandfathers was alcoholics and my dad was an alcoholic and I have a brother that's an alcoholic. And uh, I know today that uh, I've been, you know, an alcoholic addict my whole life because there was anything I do is always excessive, uh, whether it's eating or anything. It's, you know, there's never a stopping point for me. Yeah, I uh, can relate to that too. You know, I uh, there is a piece of me that I really I've just changed my drug of choice. I've stopped using, you know, I've stopped using booze. I've stopped using drugs. Uh, I now am off of nicotine. I'm proud to say for almost uh, since for actually I know that number 621 days. I count that every day. Yeah. Uh, Congratulations. Thank you. And uh, actually, the podcast that I released today was of a nicotine quitting buddy because I went through the same kind of thing in a community effort to quit nicotine too and I bonded with with a bunch of people doing that that I'm still in contact with that many days ago 
Uh, so I had him on the show and we did a little, and he lives in Virginia, so we did it remotely. But, uh, so what I've done though, back to circle around is I've really just changed my drugs of choice almost, mm-hmm. you know, one of my drugs of choice today that I giggle about is busyness. I'm overly busy and I do a lot so that I don't, I, and I, and I'm not, that's not lost on me. It can be a good thing, right? I mean, being busy and being productive is a good thing, but I can also bury myself in my work so that I don't have to think much and uh, don't have to feel things. And, and I certainly am a sugar addict. I cannot get enough ice cream in this heat that we've been having lately. <laughs> well, I feel that, um, service work is an essential part of staying clean and sober today. And yeah, it's I'm not an option. Yes. Like, you uh i busy myself i stay really really busy but i wouldn't have it any other way yeah me either me either but i I do watch myself because of how i can get to an unhealthy level i can wear myself to exhaustion uh, and i can overdo it i can get to doing that in an excessive state also so i have to keep my eye on old dan to make it sure and then also have more importantly is have other people keeping their eye on Dan because I can't see me that well but my sponsor and my support group can say hey buddy uh you might want to back it off and take a day off once in a while brother yeah because I can relate to that because I'm on advisory board for the Grace House and then I'm also uh Working with uh, Dr. Yoder out of Paoli on opening up a recovery home for women wow, that's, that's pregnant. Super... And then oh. I just got uh, uh, elected on the board for Constructing Our Future, which is a big outfit out of Indianapolis that's rehabilitating women in prisons and teaching them building trades. And then they're renovating homes and uh, they're going to buy the homes. So we're kind of like in the early stages of getting that together. So, Man, that is fantastic stuff. Yes. You know, uh, I'm going to tell you, if you will, uh, in, in probably shouldn't burn our airtime with that but if i can get information on it i'd be more than happy to put some stuff into notes and stuff if there's anything that where people will maybe go to be able to help great uh, and that kind of thing we can put it because there's like a show notes area underneath the podcast where i can actually document that people don't have to remember what you just said and try to mm-hmm. try to get that down so well, I'll, i will do that after the show and you can text me something or give me some information so that i can make sure and get it uh just distributed same thing for the breakaway house too okay great thank you um, so in Paoli, you know, I have a place out in, in, in between English and Paoli, uh, and, and fairly, I ran Southern Indiana all my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, Paoli was a place I was at a bit, whether it was to be skiing or I was up in that neighborhood at Patoka or, you know, just, just different things, uh, Hoosier National Forest popping down through there. Uh, what, how'd you grow up? I mean, what was your, can you give just a little uh, insight into how your upbringing was when you were a kid? Well, I, like I said, I grew up, um, with my father being an alcoholic, he was a good dad, but but then I couldn't see that um, he had the disease of addiction. And I thought it was normal. Back when, I'm older, I'm 53 years old, so back when I was a kid, it was like the men would be at the VFW and the wife of the kids would be sitting in the parking lot. So I remember playing in the parking lot of the VFW with other kids my age. Um, and, you know, I played sports in school and I was real athletic and um, you know on when I was probably 14 or so what we did was go buy like cases of Pony Millers you remember the Pony yeah, Millers yeah uh, and we thought we was doing big stuff and we would go to the drive-in it was back when drive-ins was open and get drunk and uh, that's what we did on we would take our allowance and buy beer and go party and you know uh, smoke weed. I'm just going to put it out there. Yeah, no. We um, have no uh, boundaries here. It's, uh, the truth is what we're looking for. Yeah. Uh, so you started about 14. So it's your yes. best of your knowledge. Yeah. That's yes. about the time I began that, that activity too. It was very similar. And then it escalated into um, 
I got married when I was 18, and then, you know, it was nothing uncommon to have a, a keg of pony uh, or Little Kings, and we would go out on the Patoka Lake, because I was raised on Patoka Lake, yep. and we would drink every weekend and party, and I never had any legal consequences, so I really thought that was normal stuff. Uh, Everybody was doing it. Yeah, yeah. We, uh, me and my husband started riding Harleys, and then we got involved with some people from Crawford County, and that's when I got introduced to the harder drugs. Uh, is it okay to say? Yeah, okay. it's okay. We have no, I'll try to keep people's last names out of here. I try to keep that two-letter organization out of here for the anonymity principles, and uh, and that's really the only rules we can cuss. We can okay. We can mention any kind of substance that needs to be mentioned. <laughs> this is this will get an explicit label on it. Most of my guys cuss like crazy. Yeah. Well, that's when I was introduced to um, methamphetamine when I was 19, probably, Wow. and cocaine. And I was, all my life, I was scared of needles. And, and to go to the doctor and get a shot, I was just terrified. And I'll, it was peer pressure, really. Uh, my friends was doing it, and we was in, like I said, once again, Crawford County. And I always say Crawford County. I don't know why. I guess It's kind of funny. Crawford. I see a little twinge about like those Crawford Countyans. Yeah. Well, my mom was born and raised in Crawford County too. So, um, and we was all, we thought we was cool. We was riding Harleys and uh, uh, they was doing IV drug use and I wanted to try it too. And once I tried it, um, my husband, he, you know, he, we would party on weekends and he would, Sunday night, he would cut it off. I couldn't cut it off. And once I picked up the IV, the IV drugs, you know, the needle, it was like, that's, it was like, that's all I wanted to do. And then I would, um, on Sunday nights, I had to have more. I had to have more because I could, I had been up all weekend. So I'd have more to get through the week at work. And then it just escalated and there was no shutting off. And, um, I would like to sit here and tell you that, over the years that uh, I just decided to quit doing hard drugs and, and, uh, and I quit, but that's not what happened. What happened was back in uh, late 80s, early 90s, it wasn't, you couldn't get uh, drugs like you can today. So basically I had no connections and, and then everything chilled out, you know, but then once again, I went back to drinking and smoking weed. But to me, that was, there was no, that was no big deal. That was normal. And so I was like a dry drunk for a while. Um, then I had a daughter, which was born in 1990. Everything was fine. She, you know, I was, uh, I, us alcoholics and addicts are really good people, you know, and when we pick up that drink or drug, you know, we lose our choice. And because up until the time that, uh, I picked the drugs up again, I was coaching my daughter in softball, basketball, and it was around the time she was in third grade, and, and I kind of lose track of time as far as the years go to, yeah. um, is when I started getting back into methamphetamine and crack cocaine. And um, I took a job up north. I worked in a, a furniture factory, and I was in the engineering department. So I had, uh, I had a really good job. I made really good money. And basically, to be honest with you, I had uh, I was strung out on the dope and my boss had enabled me and I I dropped an A-ball at work and I mean the other bosses was ready to fire me you know they, I was falling asleep in my car outside and one of the owners of the company he kept enabling me and he was like 
he was like, well, you know, you can't. It's not hers because I was like, it's not mine. Well, anyway, make a long story short. So when you said you dropped it, you physically dropped it. I physically dropped it, okay. and somebody found it, and it was in the engineering department. And it was pretty obvious whose yeah. it was. Okay. Uh, but uh, the other, one of the owners was like, "We're going to fire her," and the other owner was like, "No, you know, it couldn't have been Lisa's." Well, it was, and so I left that job and I went up north to uh, Goshen, Indiana. To uh, we had lost a contract through uh, Hillrom, which is makes hospital furniture Uh so they had got the contract for this uh piece of furniture that i'd helped engineer so i went up there to train wheeling furniture on how to you know make this piece of furniture make a long story short i was living up in goshen driving back to louisville and buying drugs strung out pretty much just left my husband and my daughter and would row back in home you know, every couple of weeks or whatever and sleep and trying to do the best I can to be that parent and to hold on to that home life. But I was, you know, I didn't want my husband, but I didn't want nobody else to have him. Yeah. I, uh, I was very selfish and self-centered. I uh, ended up, was falling asleep training these people on this furniture and I was embarrassed. And so I just kind of just left and come back home and Finally, uh, my mother was like, uh, you know, she needs help. And my husband was like, she can quit. She does not need help. And my mom was like, yes, she does, because she understood addiction, and he didn't. And I ended up going, you know, I've got a lot of history, but basically the truth is I've been in and out of six different rehab facilities from Ferdinand, Indiana, back when they used to have one there, uh, Suburban Hospital in Louisville, uh, Bloomington Hospital, Stepping Stones a couple times in Evansville. I've been to Turning Point. I think I've been in and out of rehab six times. Wow. Yeah, and uh, that just goes to that same thing of that, that inability. That there's two there's two cornerstones, if you might say. I think it's not probably the right term, but of, of addiction and alcoholism is, is you have you tried to quit and couldn't. That's a lot of history right there of trying to quit and mm-hmm. actually getting a lot of help with facilities and stuff trying to quit. And that's not just sitting at home saying, I'm going to quit. Yeah. and can't right and then obviously the other one is we always talk about is once you start using and you've talked about that you can't control how much i'm going to use once i yeah. do yeah that's if you've been in that many rehab places you, you can't really hide behind i don't have a problem <laughs> well and part of it was too is i would always think i could do it on my own so when i would go and sleep it off and then i was like i can do this on my own i would catch bits and pieces of the program uh-huh. and i you know still today that i've retained them but mm-hmm. um I just never would stay because I always thought I could do it on my own. I'm better now, you know, come and get me. And that's the truth. The only time I completed a rehab facility was under a court order. And for me, I'm the worst of the worst. And when I say that is because anybody that thinks they're beat down so bad that there's no help for them, I'm going to sit there and tell you right now that I was you and you was me. I'm one of them ones that you have to lock me up put me away. I cannot walk up into a facility like some of these women that come in here and do it. And my hat's off to them. I am so proud of them because I was never able to do that. I have to be locked up in a jail cell in order to get me total absence from a substance. That's powerful. That's a, that's a big testimony right there. That's, that is powerful. And that's what happened in 2004. I was arrested for, um, I was just running in and out of my husband's life. And then in 2004, I was arrested for possession of meth. And uh, I'd never been in trouble before. 
so they this is one of my last rehab stints was uh they sent me to stepping stone in evansville i come home bonded out was clean for three months and did the same thing that i did prior i could do this on my own i don't need them people i've got this and it wasn't three months and i was making connections at AA meetings and us going out and getting high instead of going to the meetings or pretending i'm gonna sleep on the couch and my husband not know it you know and um he knew what was going on and trying to be the best mother that i could through this but it wasn't long before I was gone again and my family would tell you that they knew when I relapsed because I would disappear oh. uh, I spent a lot of time alone because I was I never partied with people I, I don't know if it was I was embarrassed of where I was in my addiction uh, I would drive and drive mm. and drive and spend a lot of time alone. Yeah, um, we talked about that to somebody else the other day of how crazy that was. That was a good. That was a good place to isolate, you know. And you kept moving, you know. That's when I stopped. Is when I get caught, right? Yeah. But if I kept moving until I crashed something, or something. <laughs> but for the most part, if I kept moving, I kept mobile, and I could stay isolated too. That's a, a car was a great place to go party. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if it was so much that for me as it was the fact of not wanting anybody to know what I was doing. Uh, As I mean, you're hiding. You're isolated. Yeah. It's a perfect place to isolate. You isolate on the move. Yeah. And as far as the legal consequences, oh, I was out on bond, and this was in 2004, and it came up in 2005 that I had a pretrial conference in April. I was so high. My and In the meantime, all this going on, my husband tried to take full custody of my daughter, which he needed to. And, you know, I look back on it, and I put my mother in some bad situations because she knew I was strung out and he wanted her to testify against me and she she couldn't do it and I think back on that now because you know look what I did to my mother because this was all back before 2002 because my mom died in a car wreck when I was in active addiction mm-hmm. and then once she did that once she died in a car wreck I used that as, as an excuse to continue on drinking and drugging and right. who cares my, yeah. I wasn't thinking about my daughter I was thinking it was all about me and what I wanted to do and the truth is, it wasn't even about that. It was about I wanted to get high, and family was getting in my way. Yeah. And that's the truth. Um, I remember my sister opening up the door on me at Thanksgiving, and here I'd be in there shooting dope. And luckily, she didn't see it, but I know it. I know what happened. You know, uh, so back to 2005 is I was out on bond, and uh, the police... I was dropped my daughter off to work at a pizza place in Paoli, and I was going to run to Louisville and get some more drugs. And uh, at this time, I was addicted to crack cocaine, but I was using the meth when I couldn't stay up any longer, and then selling the meth to buy more cocaine. And uh, the police, I was speeding, and they turned around on me, so I wouldn't recommend this to anybody else, but <laughs> I tried to outrun the cops. Yeah. So... Um, I got rid of the dope and took out this dirt road and went down through the hill and in the woods and hung up this four-wheel drive and the state cop car was hung up and they had to get the rollbacks in there to get both of our cars out and I'm like jumping out of the car and I'm running up the hill and I only get from probably 100 yards and I'm like shoo I can't do this <laughs> and, uh, so and then I thought I was really cool because I was so arrogant back then and so full of self you know and I was like I don't know who was driving that truck but it wasn't me well the guy I that, just hadn't be out here in the woods. <laughs> yeah. Oh, gosh. So, uh, 
And Judge Blanton was a judge in Paoli at that time, and he was so good to me, and he did to me exactly what he should do. And I love that man to this day. Um, so this time he puts me in jail, and I've got fleeing and all these charges, driving charges, resisting law enforcement, and I've got this pending possession of meth from, and possession of cocaine, too, back from 2004. And that judge sends me back to rehab. This time I go to Turning Point here in Jeffersonville. Um, and I knew my ass was on fire, excuse me, but my ass was on fire. Yeah. I was in trouble. And, and so I thought, okay, what about these halfway houses? I don't even know what they are. I had no idea. Because Paoli is so shut off in such of a little county. They're just now starting to get a little bit of recovery up there and doing meetings. Uh, so I went and toured the Bliss House. And I was like, all right, I've got a plan now. I'm going to go to this Bliss House, and I've got to do something because I am in a lot of right. trouble. Yeah. Well, Judge Blanton had a good sense of humor because he – I was there for 45 days. I stayed as long as I could at my insurance because I was furloughed from jail. At the turning point at the rehab place you stayed Yes, as long furloughed as from jail. He let me, I think I got arrested in April for all these driving charges, and this was May that I was at turning point. And uh, so now I was going back up to the judge, and I was like, I'm going to go to this halfway house. And he's like, do you? You really want to go to this halfway house? I'll tell you what I'm going to do. He was like, I get excited when I talk about it. He was I love like, it. you can go to the halfway house you're going to prison six years suspend two four do two and upon release you're going to that halfway house on the class a misdemeanor <laughs> resisting law enforcement you're going to a halfway house and here's how you're going yes so that was funny because that's exactly what needed to happen to me well mean with the days that i had served between the time i ended up going to prison for one year okay i went to rockville went through intake and went to madison which is like camp women's prison so when i got out of the women's prison i was furloughed to the bliss house for one year and i was like wow so i went to the bliss house and and i did really good and i was better than i'd ever been and this was in 2006. well i laugh about this too because once again lisa wants to do what lisa wants to do self-centered all about me okay and i thought well i'm not staying there a year so I hire a lawyer, <laughs> and Miss Sue at the time, I'm sure you know Miss Sue, yeah. uh, was the director. And about eight months into it, I hired a lawyer, and I was going to petition the courts to get out of this halfway house because she wasn't graduating me when I thought she should. So I spent my $500, and I hired an attorney, and we went up to Paoli, and Miss Sue graduated me before my court date. <laughs> <laughs> so I go to Paoli, and Judge Blanton suspends the two years of probation and completely sets me free. Completely sets me free. I was better than I ever had, but I got to tell you that when I went into recovery in 2006, I looked for the easier and softer way. I got me a sponsor that wasn't going to make me work. I didn't need your all's meetings because I was better than I have ever been. I had a good job. I was driving a truck for paper products and and uh, everything was going good. And I was just in such good shape. And I was like, what do I need meetings for? So I went to minimum meetings. I did a sponsor. It wouldn't make me work. And then Friday night when everybody go out and eat, I didn't want to go out and hang out with you all. I wanted to go get my house up in Paoli together and get my land and everything straight. And it was going up there and spending time with my dad. Um, so this went on. And I didn't need to do service work. I didn't need none. Of, I didn't need anything you all had. So basically what I did was I did everything wrong because for me I've got to learn the hard way in anything I do so come 2009 I, 
I knew I had hep C. I found out when I went to prison. So in 2009, I'd been sober four years, three, four years, I think something like that. And yeah, four years. And uh, I went through the hep C treatment. Well, back then it was the interferon. So it was a year-long treatment, injections in your stomach and all that. Um, I had textbook recovery. I wasn't sick. I didn't miss a day of work. I didn't feel good. I was tired. I was pale. But I, I worked every day. I mean, I did really good through that treatment. Um, it was, that was January of 2009. I started it. In the meantime, I moved away. I had to, all this time from 2006 till 2009, I worked at the Bliss House and I stayed at the Bliss House. I didn't leave that property. But I, once again, I didn't do service work. I didn't do, I did work there as a night manager, but I didn't hang out with you all because, you know, once again, I was better than I'd ever been. Um, so I moved back to, uh, Palmari, Indiana, with my girlfriend. Went and this was in uh, probably. See, I started the treatment in January '09, so it was like April. Well, I moved away, so I didn't go to no meetings. Didn't call no sponsor. My dad died. He had a heart attack, and he died in two, in June of 2009. Well, I was tired, and they was offering me pain pills, and I was never addicted to pain pills. I didn't have a problem. With I didn't pain have pills. a problem with pain pills. So I started taking pain pills, and it gave me energy. Yeah, me too. Yeah. <laughs> so people, uh, <clears throat> just just a little <laughs> side. Look, my dad lives with me, and he will have an opportunity now and again when he gets some pain pills. Now I gotta be really careful with that. But he will lay on that couch for eight hours at a time after taking a five milligram pain pill. You know, and and when I put some pain pills in me, I'm cleaning house, I'm raking the leaves, I'm doing all kinds of stuff. You know, yeah. he's he's comatose. Well, he needs it, and you don't. Yeah. <laughs> So, uh, anyway, um, so I was taking the pain pills and still not going to meetings. Everything was going fine through the hep C treatment. In January of 010, since I wasn't never an alcoholic, I never had a problem with drinking. So I picked a drink up. <laughs> Come June of 2010, I never went back to see if I was hep C free. I knew that I, I finished the treatment, but it, you have to keep a zero viral count for six months to know if you're in remission or not. Mm. I never went back because June I was in Patoka Lake on a uh, boat trip for a company, Howard Packing in Cordon, Indiana. Drunk, stopped back at uh, DePaul, Indiana, or over New Salisbury area. Ramsey. Yeah, I know all those places. Yes, Ramsey at a friend's house, and uh, he had methamphetamine. Well, that really wasn't my problem either. It was the crack that, you Isn't know. that interesting? Yes. So I picked that up, and then my daughter was told my girlfriend, she was like, do you have any idea you just unleashed the devil? Because I was off and running. There was no stopping me. I couldn't stop for nobody. Nothing mattered. I was gone. And as this was in 2010, June, I was able to, I ended up delivering cigarettes for a company called Axton in Louisville, Kentucky um, in 2010 early 2012 I couldn't afford my habit anymore so when you come to that point you either going to have to deal the drugs or manufacture the drugs or sell your body okay um and I started manufacturing methamphetamine and that become a whole new addiction yeah and that's a whole new you know like that's the only thing you can really make yourself I mean I guess you can make booze yes. but you can't I don't think you can really make cocaine uh, or at least not, no it was like unlimited supply of everything so for 
from once again my sobriety date was august the 6th so of 2013 so from 2012 for one year i manufactured and i had unlimited supplies i was putting drugs so much drugs in my body because there was no, there was i was manufacturing i had had it then i was addicted to making it so i was driving to louisville delivering cigarettes staying up all night manufacturing coming to louisville buying crack cocaine taking pain pills i had a prescription for Xanaxes because I used that as an excuse from the hep C treatment. So I had 120 lower tabs coming in, 90 Xanaxes coming in. I was manufacturing methamphetamine. I was smoking crack and I was strung out. Yeah. And I uh, lost my job. I got fired because I can't imagine. <laughs> well, I bumped a car in Simpsonville because I passed out stuck in traffic. And when I hit the car in front of me, my boss fired me, and it broke my heart. I'd never been fired. I tried so hard to be the best that I could be. Yeah, now I've got, now my heart's broken. Yes, my heart's broken because I got fired. I couldn't believe it. But what I do know is that, thank God, I didn't kill someone. Yeah. It's kids, family, or kill myself because I remember I would just grab the steering wheel and was like, please, God, please, God, help me. Please, God, help me because I knew I was going down. I just didn't know how it was going to happen falling asleep at the wheel driving so that was a blessing um i was in now the hospital for like the last six months before august when i got sober and what i know today is my body was shutting down and i was to the point to where i couldn't even get high because i was so sick i couldn't even get up and use the bathroom because i was so sick i laid out there and i was in and out of orange county hospital and um i um I don't think that I would have lived much longer with all the chemicals and stuff I was putting in my body. Um, so somebody got, there was a guy, you know, we got all these people hanging out when we're doing what we're doing. And, um, that's a pretty typical cliche. Slide. There was a guy. Mm-hmm. And he, uh, he, had, he got busted and he told him I sold him methamphetamine and that I was manufacturing the night before. And so when I got home, I just happened to come home in August, and when I pulled my driveway, the Indiana State Police uh, detective Paul Andre and several state police officers was all there, and they come at me with guns, and I just got out of the truck and surrendered, and I had everything you could imagine. I had just come back from Louisville. I had all the precursors to make a batch. I had 12 little baggies of methamphetamine. I had less than eight ball cocaine. I had the lower tabs of Xanaxes. And uh, so they slapped um, two A felonies uh, on me, dealing with intent to manufacture, dealing methamphetamine, two A's, uh, several C's. I had six felony charges. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, you got all that on you. They probably just. Yes, I had actually 3.34 grams of meth and 2.75 of cocaine, <laughs> uh, but it was in different bags. Uh, I surrendered. I cried like a baby. I was like, I'm so glad it's over. And Paul Andre, the state cop, we smoked cigarettes together in the yard, and, and I told him everything. And uh, he took me to jail, and it was kind of like a relief. It was over. Yeah, I can imagine. And then Judge Blanton is still the judge. This is, what, so many years later? Uh, from six, 2006 to 2013? Yeah. Um. He sent me back to Stepping Stone. No, is that right? Let me think about this for a minute. 
No, that was, he didn't. <laughs> this time he didn't. He, uh, I sat in jail for four months and I, I kept trying to uh, get a bond and I had a $125,000 cash only bond on me. And I asked, and I went up there to court one day. And, you know, when you look back over your life, you see how God's working in your life. Right. And, and I'll get to the to the really big part here in a little while. But um, I remember going up there that day, and I just knew that I needed to be down here with my people. I needed to be down here with my AA crowd, my my recovery crowd, my, my family. I need to be with my sisters at the Bliss House. I need That's where I needed to be because I was so sick. Yeah. And... Um, I remember in court, and it was like my third bond reduction, and I asked my attorney if I could say something, and he said yes. And I said, Mr. Judge Blanton, will you please allow me the opportunity to get free on the inside? And when I come back here, I'll be okay with no matter what you do. Because I was so full of guilt, shame, and remorse, and I was so sick spiritually that I needed to come down here and get free to where I could have acceptance in whatever my future was going to be. Um, and I remember he dropped his head and he looked up at me and he said, Livingston, I'm going out on a limb for you and you better not saw it off. That's mm -hmm. how he was. He was an old country judge. And uh, he let me bond out on $75,000 bond uh, and quartered me to the Bliss House. And I went down there and I mean, I was like, I want everything you all have. I want the best sponsor. I want to do everything I can. I, I want to jump and hope Mott, my best friend that's got 10 years sobriety, I'm going to do, follow her because I want what she has. Um, and that's what I did. I, uh, Janice B. is the director of The Breakaway now, and she was my sponsor. And I was attracted to her spirituality. I was attracted to her program. I was attracted to her knowledge. And uh, I asked her to be my sponsor, and she took me through the steps. I did went out to eat. No matter if I didn't even want to go, I went out to eat every Friday night with the with the crowd, the recovery crowd. I went to all the functions. I did everything uh, because I was so scared for my life. And it wasn't about going to prison at this point because I had the whole time I have these charges hanging over my head. All right. It was about living today, and that's when I met you. Was right around in that time. Uh, which I was doing the meditation, everything. Yeah, uh, that was the going to any lengths is what I'm hearing. Yes. So in the meantime, I'm at the Bliss House, and I'm going through my step work and, you know, um, the Lord's Prayer. We're, we always do the Lord's Prayer in meetings yep. and everything. And I noticed that I started getting the goosebumps during the Lord's Prayer. And I was like, because I never went to church when I was younger, so I knew God was out there, but I didn't have any kind of relationship with Him. And... When I started getting these goosebumps, I was like, all right, there's something going on here. It is not code every time we do the yeah. Lord's Prayer. You know, you're talking about that, and that's happening to me. Is it? Wow, that's big. The spirits are right here right yeah. now. Um, so then I got to where I'd close my eyes, and I'd hold her hands tight beside me, and I'd close my eyes. And then I got to where, and I was telling Janice about this, and she was like, well, I'm jealous because I can't do that. I could will the spirit to move in my body. I would sit there and hold hands real tight, and I could hold, close my eyes, and I could put myself all in God's will, and I could make the spirit move in my body. And when that happened the first time, I just went plumb, like, you know, it was, I can't, you're talking about a pink elephant. It's, I can't even, words don't describe he was real. God is real. The whole time he's been right here in my heart, and it was up to me to make that conscious contact yeah. with him. I'm not special. We all have it. Yep. 
we just have to find it and do and make that conscious contact with him and, and when I figured out that that was really what was going on and he was real and all that I mean I was on fire remove the blocks yes so then I was on fire and I was like God is real he's real I mean so you know my prayer game got really good uh, because now I know that I'm not just talking to yeah anything I get that completely do you yeah I do yeah so um in the meantime, I had a good friend. Her name was Nicole Snelling. She uh, she died February the 21st of 2016. She was my Bliss House alumni sister. She lived next door. She monitored at the Bliss House when I was there in 2013. She had uh, relapsed, and she didn't die from a drug overdose, but she died from an um, infection in, from the injection site. Yeah. Uh, and... I was there at the hospital. She actually died from the aneurysm. Uh, she was she was in the hospital and she had this infection and she was in ICU. They took her out of ICU and put her in a regular room. Well, um, two days later, she she grabbed her head and was like, "Oh my head!" and she she died. She was brain dead. Um, I had just been there and seen her the day before and asked her, "Are you coming back to us?" You know, and she was like, "Yeah, I just want to be with my family and kids and." Um, you know, when get back in recovery, and then you know she died. Uh, they donated her organs, and uh, her mom. Um, it, it hit us hard. Yeah, I really hard. It. It, it was in the early stages of the heroin epidemic, mm-hmm. um, and it was the first one close to me that passed. So in the meantime, I'd started this construction company in 2014, Lisa's Roofing and Construction, and. Uh, the News and Tribute had done an article on homelessness, and they ran an article and job shadowed me. Well, I, work just come pouring in. And I was like, these people want to hire a drug addict like me and let me in their homes. I was so I was from that little county to where my self-esteem had diminished to nothing. And I come down here to where I was building my recovery life, and I was, like, so overwhelmed with gratitude that people was actually giving me a chance and, and knowing I was a drug addict. Yeah. Um, and my sister was like, why do you tell people that? And I said, because I want people to know who I am. And it's what I was is not who I am today. Right. Exactly. Uh, so my business, and I it excelled. And I would pack my little lunchbox, and I wouldn't go, you know, I'm like a big budgeter. Um, so I, would not, I don't go and give my money to convenience stores. And I pack my lunch, and I save my money. Uh, and this is around the time Nicole died, which I was guess my business had been open a couple years and when Nicole died, there was like a 50 people waiting list at the Bliss House. People was dying from heroin overdoses. Yeah. And I was like, what can I do through prayer? How God works in my life is I can come up with a million plans. But I'll know within a day or two if it's my Lisa's will or God's will. Because if it's Lisa's will, I still don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. If it's God's will then I know this is what I've got to do because God's backing me through prayer, through praying when I pray about this, and I'm dead set. And and I'll know in the morning. It may be the next day or the next day or maybe a few days later, but I know when it's God's will, and if it's God's will, I'm on fire to do it. And I'd been praying about a recovery home because there wasn't any, anything hardly in southern Indiana right, for women. Yeah. One game in town, really, Bliss House, right? I mean, that was... Bliss House in St. Elizabeth, or Elizabeth, Butterfly House in Elizabeth, Indiana. Okay. Yes. And uh, so I got up one morning, and I was... And, you know, it's funny because Janice was my sponsor, and when she took me through the steps, I was like, 
I'm open halfway house, which we all are when we get sober. I don't know about you, but we all are. <laughs> you um, and you're going to be the director. And she was like, she's full of shit, you know, because this was back in 2014. Um, so in 2016, through prayer, I was like, all right, I'm going to God said, do it. And uh, I went and uh, thought, OK, I'm going to go with, use my whole savings and I'm opening up a halfway house. I'm going to rent a house. I'm going to put the women in there. And Janice, you're going to be the director. And Janice's like, okay. <laughs> so I called my mentors, which was Sue LaRue, which was the director, retired director from the Bliss House. Uh, Sandy McCauley, um, she is an accountant. Her husband's a big accountant here in Jeffersonville, retired now. But she was uh, on the board of directors for the Center for Lay Ministry. So I just used utilized the resources that I had met through recovery. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, so they was like calling and these ladies are 72 and three years old and they're my best friends and i love hanging out with them and they're like we got to do something lisa's about to lose all of her money so they're like all right we're on board and i was going to rent a house off of kevin and the zoning board shut me down and i didn't pick new albany indiana new albany picked us yeah because god has opened doors through for this house from day one um I was going to say that God's will thing, too, is that, you know, when I know when things start happening, it's beyond me, you know, that it's not me when things start open, doors open and I and I'm in a flow state. That's when I know the difference. If I'm pushing and fighting, yeah. like usually going, yeah, that's not what I'm supposed to be doing. When I start sliding down that path where I know it's all happening. Yeah. Then then I'm going, OK, now I'm in alignment. I had to run to keep up with God's blessings. Right. I mean, it was I'm not kidding you a bit. I look back on it today and I'm like, wow, what a ride with everything yeah and the whole time i've got these charges hanging over my head and i'm like okay i've got to prepare if i go to prison so i've got to make sure that i've got a good strong board i've got to make sure that i've i didn't i knew nothing but i had my mentors helping me and i knew that janice could handle the house so and then i my uh, niece which is one of my alumni sisters casey schaefer i was like okay you can I'm going to train you in as executive director for this house and, and cover all my bases in case I'm removed. Uh, make a long story short, uh, we found we found a house. The zoning denied us. We was in a residential. Uh, through word of mouth, the house that we have now here on uh, 1514 East Spring Street in New Albany, Indiana, was had been empty for three years, and it was in foreclosure. Uh, so we and then. We found this house. In the meantime, the media gets involved because of the zoning being shut down and people hearing that I'm trying to, you know, do something in the community. Uh, so Paget Incorporated, one of the local uh, business owners here in New Albany, mm-hmm. um, contacted me and asked me to come down and talk to him. Uh, in the meantime, I hadn't even found this house. I'm trying to – somewhere in there. Anyway, I'm sorry. I'm getting sidetracked. That's okay. But um, – the timelines went, don't really work out that well. Yeah. It doesn't really matter that awful much either. <laughs> so I went down there, and he interviewed me. And I didn't really know. I'm not, this all this whole business th- stuff is new to me other than doing the construction stuff. And um, he asked me a lot of questions and what I wanted to do. And I told him what I was wanting to do. And he, and, uh, he I told him about this house that was empty, and it was in for, foreclosure. And... Uh, he was so he listened to me and we talked for a while and then about two weeks later he calls me and he said uh won't you come back down here and when i went back down there he put me in the conference room and there was a they said the secretary said 
go to the conference room and there's a paper there. Read that paper, Mr. Paget, be down in a minute. And I went in there and the paper was a contract buy. He was going to buy this house for the breakaway, which is the name of the recovery home. And at the meet, in the beginning, we wanted to call it Nicole's place after Nicole, but there was a conflict of interest with the business in Louisville, so we went with the breakaway in remembrance of Nicole. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was, I mean, tears just started flowing. Yeah. I mean, who does this for a drug addict like me that will help out and put the money out there to purchase this home? Right. Um, so the contract was that he was going to reimburse us so much, and it was a really sweet deal. Um we uh i was just blown away and uh so in the meantime we get the home we need sprinkler systems put in here and and my savings was just ten thousand dollars it wasn't a lot you know that's what the sprinkler systems cost well he paid for everything and just added it on our mortgage Hmm. so he basically if it wasn't for Paget incorporated not just him his sisters it's a company family-owned business we would not be where we're at today right now with that being said so when we got the home this home has been built by the community. This is not my home. This is God's home. Right. And it's been built by the, this is a community-owned home. It's a not-for-profit. And if it wasn't for everybody that donated, this young lady right here, Samantha, that's here with us, she donates her time here. From the people that's donated the flooring, from the people that's done the electrical work, from anybody that's donated furniture, everything in this house has been donated. There's everything. Uh, so this is once again and i stress this this is a community's house because i could have never done this alone right together we could do what i could not do alone um so we just jump in here and janice is the director and i'm executive director and we got volunteers coming in and we bring in our first six women october of 2017. we officially opened the doors i remember just to break in once i came down for something and i can't remember we were donating something or something i think y'all were having a yard sale or something and the place was really pretty rough but i saw you took me through and you gave me like the dream you know, yeah. you said, this is going to be this, this is going to be that, you know, but you could, I couldn't, you know, I really had some faith in you because there was something, I could see that momentum, right? And that same kind of thing was happening in my life at some level. And I'm like, she's going, that's all going to come to fruition. You know, that is actually going to happen. But you took me through, I felt really honored that day that you took me through, you know, and you had the dream and you said, these are where the girls are have rooms in here. We're going to be doing this. We're going to do that. And I thought it was just really cool. I'll never forget it. Well, I know that one of the things Mr. Paget told me is that he admired my passion. Yeah. And that it's not because I was like, you know, I'm not a college education educated person i'm just a little old me and he said you know people with passion go further sometimes it's not he's not you know downgrading education we're not doing that but um he said that was one of the reasons well in the meantime i've got these charges so all this is going on and i'm like okay before mr paget puts this money up i've got to go tell him who i am i got to go tell him if he's putting his trust in me that i'm about to be sent off to prison maybe there's a chance that I can. So I went down there and asked to meet with him, and I said, uh, I told him. And he was like, I know exactly who you are, Lisa Dawn Livingston. He'd already Googled my name, knew yeah. everything about me, and went ahead and went with it. And I was like, wow. Okay. And, uh, you know, we didn't, none of us knew, a lot of us didn't know what we was doing. We just, you know, did the best we can. And Janice is amazing. She's, she's the one that does the programs. We do Recovery Dynamics. And um, so the house is doing real good. And the whole time, well, in the meantime, in Orange County, 
there's a new judge that's elected, and uh, he was a prosecutor prior. Excuse me. So he started his term in 2000, I guess 16 or 17, when they same time as Trump. So I pled guilty to the charges because there was nothing I could do to beat him because I told on myself. Uh, I told on myself because I surrendered my will that day when I got the charges. And um, so we did a blind plea. And March the 12th of 2018, I went up for sentencing. There was uh, 550 letters wrote to the courts. There was a over 100 people at my sentencing. Um, I had drugged, I had volunteered for community corrections and put myself in there the year before for accountability, drug tests and everything. Um, that Indiana State police officer that arrested me, he testified on my behalf. Yeah. He uh, put his 30 year career that I wouldn't reoffend and he's a big part of the breakaway. He supports the breakaway mm -hmm. and uh, he's never done that before. Wow. Um, he te like I said, he testified. Community Corrections come down and testified that I was a model uh, citizen. citizen or whatever. I was a good Community Corrections person. Uh, Janine. You was being a good girl. I was being a good girl. Jean's, Janine's an angel to me. Uh, she's a I big piece that. in my story that I talk about her often. Yeah. And uh, so we went up there, and, and the judge said, uh, it's not a public poll whether I go to prison or not, and that I should have worked more on my criminal case than my resume. And I remember reading that in the paper. Sentenced me. Popularity contest or something yeah. term was talked about too. Not yeah. a popularity contest. Yeah. I remember. And he said that I should, uh, or, and he sentenced me to 30 years in prison. Yeah. My out date was 2032, November of 2032. Uh, I was in shock. It shocked the whole community. Yeah. And the whole recovery community specifically. Uh, everybody was really, I'm, I'm tearing up. I'm getting touched to talk about it. <laughs> uh, yeah, shock. I can't imagine what you felt. You know, I, I, um, I was in shock, but I was also, all I could think about was Nicole. I'm not dead. I get to spend my time in prison. I get to live today. And, you know, sometimes I felt like, man, that's sad that I got to be just thankful I'm alive. And then I thought, you know, there's people out there dying of cancer. There's people out there that's dying from heroin overdoses. I don't ever want to live like that again. I'm alive and I'm healthy and I'm safe. You know, and, but I hurt for my family. It was hard on my daughter. It was hard on my, my family. Because when people's incarcerated, the family's the one that suffers. Right, yeah. Uh, but I had, I got the opportunity to make a lot of true friends. So I didn't have to do any of that time alone. I didn't have to go up there alone. I had a big bunch of friends on the outside that I built through recovery. Right. And that's what we got today is in our recovery group is it means so much to me because I couldn't do it without you all. And so I had all of you all and, and I knew my worth today. I hated that. The judge didn't know my heart because I feel that he felt like that I did all this. And, and a rumor had spread. It had been said that I did all this to get out going to prison. But 
you know, no weapons formed against me shall prosper. And I firmly believe that. And I live today by to thy own self be true. I do it and I can't, you know, it's like, I'm just going to be real. I was going to write one of my friends up in prison. And I got the letter and I wrote it and everything. And I signed Janice's name so that they wouldn't know it was me. And I got to the mailbox and I was like, I can't do it. I've got to wait that year. Any little thing like that, I can't do it because I don't, I'm too scared of the consequences of an action if I lie today. So let me understand, just so I get back, you're not allowed to contact anybody? Not for a year. Once okay. you've been released from prison, you got to wait a year yeah, to And you contact. wanted to, and you were getting I ready to, and you were getting ready to do it deceitfully and couldn't do it. Couldn't do it. I can't today. I haven't been able to since I got sober and got a personal relationship with God. Right. I mean, there's times, I mean, I was everything, a thief, a liar. I was all that in my active addiction. Yeah. And through recovery and my relationship with God, it's changed me. Um, so anyway, I went to prison and went to jail. And I, the next morning, the Indiana State Police officer come and got me out of my cell and he cried like a baby. He said, I'm so sorry. He said, I, could, I don't understand why they did what they did to you. They were supposed to be Christian men. And, and he said, he, he was he was heartbroken. Um, I was still, once again, I was still in shock. I, I went to intake. I went through all the emotions. I found the acceptance, finally. But, I mean, I, I was, I hurt for home, and I was homesick. And mm-hmm. uh, he gave me so much time. They put me in the Class 5 facility and uh, being my time. And I was in there with... Uh, I was in there with a lot of murders. I was in there because of my time. It put me as a high risk. Uh, I wasn't able to go the, to Madison Prison because of the time he gave me. Um, it made my, even though I was a nonviolent drug charge, yeah. uh, it made me a class three. So I had to stay in Indiana Women's Prison, which is, you know, with a lot of violence, you mm-hmm. know, which is okay. I'm not trying to take their inventory. Um, and once again, I want to say women's prisons is not like men's prisons. It's not, you don't have to worry about getting raped and, hmm. you know, really getting beat up. I mean, you could get beat up if you did stupid things. Uh, but they, it was actually, uh, Rockville was hell, the women's prison there, but Indiana women's prison was really good to me. They treated it, treated you with respect, the guards did, and uh, so I wasn't, I was okay. Um, well, it certainly is interesting, that, and, 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 and I know that in your heart you don't feel that way because even the people who are the murderers and stuff, you know, I know they're still just as much of a divine creature as you know. Mm-hmm. That's that's just the spiritual sickness that does that in my my mind. That's the, that's a that is a spirit that is hurting very bad. It's able to do those things, not unlike the spirit that I had it was bad. It did the drugs and did the things that I did. Yes, but uh, but the fact that you know, there, I do draw a bit of a distinction between the crimes and the you know the fitting that you know that I'm a drug dealer or maker and, yeah. and then there is a difference in, in people who have created done violent mm-hmm. uh, that have a violent tendency because I, I don't really see that i don't know and i don't maybe you were violent at some point but i don't get the vibe that that would have been in your heart even then no it's you know um like i said i i went up there and you know i had opinions and stuff and and i was up there with there was people up there for murder that you could tell their spirits was evil Mm-hmm. And there was people up there for uh, felony murder, which I the difference between felony murder versus murder, I didn't know until I got there, is, you know, if me and you go out and commit a crime and somebody gets killed, even though I'm just with you, that's felony murder. Mm. Uh, so there was a lot, there's a lot of unjust. When I, I've really seen how the Indiana 
criminal system is so unjust when I went up there in that prison. Like, there's so many people serving so many long sentences that, like myself, there was people up there doing 40-year prison sentence on the same charges as me. So I wasn't, I had a lengthy sentence, but there's a lot of, there's a lot of women up there that's uh, doing, that's worse off than me. Um, so I start going to church and I just completely, I, I spend 1030 count on my knees. I put my shower slippers under my knees and I don't care if the count lasted two hours, hour and a half, I wouldn't get up off my knees in prayer until that count was over. And I made that personal commitment every day. Uh, is that I, the inmate count? Is that what the mm -hmm. count? There's count times that you have to be on your bunk. Uh, and it was a 1030 count. And I would just, every day I'd put my slippers underneath my sh knees and I would stay on my knees for sometimes two hours. Wow. Uh, I would start out with uh, prayer and then I would read my Bible and then I would do my meditations and, and I would just spend that whole time with God every day. And uh, uh, one of my biggest prayers is my daughter's in active addiction at this time and uh, that uh, he protects her and he's his chi her child, his child and just on loan to me. Um, so I prayed for God to remove the obsession to use drugs away from her. And then my other prayer was to uh in the meantime i'm in this appeals court and i'm like uh not please god get me out of prison it was let these judges make the right decision because god you know my heart because that was my biggest thing god knows our heart we can bullshit anybody and everybody we want that's why it falls back onto the own self be true because he knows your heart when god knows your heart you know good things is going to happen and, and i knew that he knew my heart so i prayed that he would open these judges let these judges make the right decision not get me out of jail what is the right decision for me because i needed to be held accountable for my actions as well and i understood that so what is the right decision but 30 years was not the right decision uh, yeah okay he gave me minimum sentence is what had been the right decision but stay with me now because this is when it gets really spiritual because I'm getting this 30 years and the whole community's outraged. I'm completely in shock. So much going on. And I just had this, realized this like a month ago, maybe found acceptance in it. Is if I hadn't got sentenced at 30 years, I wouldn't be sitting here right now. If he would have gave me the minimum sentence, I wouldn't be sitting here right now. I'd be up there in prison because that's justifiable and the Indiana Supreme Court wouldn't overturn my conviction. So he, God the whole time has been just like, set still, I've got this, and I couldn't see it. And we can't see what his plans are for our life. Right. He knew, and that's why I got the sentence I got. Do I think the judge sentenced me that knowing it? No. I don't think his <laughs> motives was like that. But God knew. And God knew that that whole time he's working to get me out. But I, I couldn't see it. Yeah. Nobody could see it. But I see it now. Yeah. Uh, so to make a long story short, the... Um, I got denied October the 31st of last year from the appeals court. They sided with the judge, the sentencing judge. They basically, to be honest with you, they didn't even look through the case. They just pushed it through. Now, my girlfriend coming seen me December the 31st of 2018. And she got, the whole time I'm telling them, I'd already completely just decided after that appeals, I was like, this is where I'm gonna be. The criminal justice system is going to side with the courts, basically, you know, 
and there's going to be people lost in the system. And I just felt like there wasn't no hope anymore. I pretty mm. much found acceptance. But I was telling my daughter, my girlfriend, my family, you know, well, yeah, you know, it won't be much longer because I've got in purposeful incarceration. That is That purposeful incarceration means nothing. You can't get into programs. He gave me so much time I couldn't even get into it. Oh, really? So I was going to be pushed back. And people will say, oh, you got purposeful incarceration. You'll be out in a year. No, that's not going to happen. It's not going to happen uh, with the time frame that I got. I wasn't even eligible for the programs probably until 2028. Wow. To get into them. Uh, so on October the 31st, which was New Year's Eve, my girlfriend got pulled over by the police in Austin coming back from visiting me, and she pulled it up on my case. And at 4.06, December the 31st of 2018, the Indiana Supreme Court overturned my conviction. And she and I was just like, oh my god, and, and I couldn't believe it. And we had to have people to make sure it was right. And um, four out of five Indiana Supreme Court judges voted to release me. And when I got, I was just couldn't believe it. I was like, oh my god, if I was never indebted to God, I was then. And then I knew He had answered my prayers through letting them judges make the right decision. And when I seen that Indiana Supreme Court brief, they went through my case with a fine tooth comb. They had. The whole, through the sentencing, through the arrest, they had me having more drugs than what I had. The act, They had called the Indiana State Police Lab. I mean, the Indiana Supreme Court dissected my case down to the very beginning. Wow. They had the wrong amount of drugs on there. The right amount was less than what I got charged with. In the beginning, I was charged, I had less than an eight ball, which would have turned it into the eight felony. So it was nor here nor there. I still had an informant, so... Uh, but I was so pleased that they actually did what people supposed to do. Right, yeah. And uh, so I was, January the 16th of 2019, I was released from prison. Yeah. Actually, uh, prior to this, I pulled up and I did a little research and uh, was looking at art- newspaper articles and stuff of yeah. through there, you know, and ran across that particular day's uh, announcement. Yeah, what a miracle. It's really unreal. I mean, it really, it's, and again, and, and I, I do a little teaser for this, you know, but you know, the fact of the matter is, you know, that if when you do the work that you've done and you keep yourself in that position in your life and you've given this surrender, this true, real surrender, and I don't, you know, somebody could, we talk about that, we hear that in the rooms about, what's that mean, you know, well, how do I do it? I just, I like when I hear somebody, I just need to surrender. Like, you know, I wish that I could like, like, there's not a recipe for that, right? It really isn't. It's something that's happened somehow, you know, and I don't know what it takes for different people to have that surrender. But once it does happen and you're actually allowed to let this higher power of God into your life and to, and to work through you and then you take the right actions because that's the other thing is that I can I have to, like, align myself to some extent with that work, right? Mm-hmm. Then the miracles that can happen when you do that and yours is just like a, like a, like a biggest fireworks show ever kind of miracle that 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 happened yeah it's it's uh, real you know i'm on fire for recovery i the, i'll tell you once i come back i was in shock a little bit and i was I trying to take everything in but i do know that it's made me a better person um i think things through today today i don't people please i you know there's times that i've had to stand my ground here to break away since mm-hmm. i come back in um to where 
I just have to stand my ground. I've got to be the executive director, and I got to. And here's where it's at. Every decision made in this house is about the women sitting at that table. I know what it feels like to be a lady sitting at that table in early recovery, and I'd be damned if I'm going to let anything outcast anybody. I don't care if they relapse, relapse 15 times. They're still welcome to come back here if they want to get clean and sober. Amen. They have to be clean to come on property. But I'm welcoming them with open arms. I don't care how many times they fall down because I'll tell you where I'm at with it today is I'd be darned if the last per- time I see somebody that I want them to think that Lisa Livingston turned them away. Yeah. And them die out there because they're dying. It's no joke today. You're exactly right. It is no joke. And I take it very serious. And, I, and this is my life goal is to continue to help addicts and alcoholics just like myself. Yeah. And the good news is, and i got to share this one last thing, is tomorrow we will be officially owners of the Breakaway Incorporated. How we are buying that? our facility. How's that for timing? Yes. That That's is big super stuff. cool. I, so I'm just, golly, I'm, I've had chills since that entire interview, really. <laughs> I really have, and I feel that. You know, that's the thing that's real, like you said, you know, and I don't doubt it, and I can't explain it to anybody else. When I talk to somebody that gets it, then they know, right? You know, so you know that. But, you know, I can talk to some people, and they're going, Look at me like, yeah, he's, Dan's lost his marbles a little bit. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, that is really, really cool. I'm so excited for all that. I've been, ex- there's been a thing, you know, and it's the thing, you know, and it sounds like it's, it sounds a little disingenuous at times when you do this, when I say these things, but, but my life has been impacted greatly in the same way. And I feel like when you're talking about that, that's what I'm doing here. What I'm trying to do is carry these messages to other people so they can see that this can happen for them too. Yes. No matter how fucking far down you are, down in the hole, it is never too late for God to pull you back up out That's of right. that stuff. And these things that happened to us that look like the worst thing could ever happen to me. 30 years. I was standing down there, you know, and they were wanting to charge, you know, my top end was 20. Mm-hmm. Were they probably going to give that? Probably not. Just like you said, they probably weren't going to give you the maximum either, yeah. though, were they? <laughs> <laughs> well, my maximum was 40. Yeah, was it? Okay. Uh, so I was sitting there doing that, you know, and what looked like the worst thing could ever happen to me was that, you know, they said 6 to 20 was bad enough for me, but that was enough to jerk a knot in my tail to where I ended up having that surrender happen where I said, okay, you know, whatever, uh, take me, you mm-hmm. know, and, and I try to walk that path, and I watched you do it too, and I knew that, you know, I don't think it's an accident. I don't believe in accidents anymore. Me neither. And, uh, and I don't believe it was an accident. Today we met at some level, and I don't know what that was, but you impacted me. You know, there's a lot of people come in through that meeting. Yeah. You know, but I remember you, and I remember that, and I've had my eyes on this the whole time because I've watched for whatever reason, whatever it is, God saying, hey, I think that happens. I think God taps you on the gold shoulder and goes, watch that. You just watch. Watch that. Because I have some other times going on, too, and I get to have that same story today where I get to carry a message like this. Mm-hmm. to somebody else you know mine and yours are not that all different i didn't do you know not but there's parallels of where higher power where god and the 12 steps have came in and taken something that was a wreck and completely resurrected it yes. and i can tell people and carry that as a truth to some other guy who is sitting there with charges on his tail end yeah that he thinks he's too far down that can't be brought that cannot be lifted and say, no, here, let me tell you a couple of stories. Yes. And that's what I want to do here is have your story out there so that people can hear that. Well, thank you. I know uh, if you go back uh, 12 years, say, the United States Supreme Court, they jumped on recovery versus incarceration. Okay. So you fast forward 12 years, not about me, but to my case. In My lawyers are just jumping for joy because the first, this is, Fast forward 12 years, Indiana is just now getting on board 
with the recovery versus incarceration. So with my case, the lawyers are using it all over Indiana in reference to get people from going to prisons, prison and getting them an option at recovery versus incarceration. I know in Washington County and Harrison County, I've already heard about two people that they've used my case as case references. The one in Washington County, the guy got four years community corrections. He was so blessed because they went with the recovery versus incarceration for nonviolent drug offenders. The one in Harrison County didn't work out so well, but I think there was a lot of stuff that went with that one. Uh, but it's given the lawyers something to work with today because before yeah. they was going in there and being completely shut down. Uh, so it's a big win for the state of Indiana. It's it really is. Humanity. Yes. <laughs> it's not about because we're sick. That's the fact of the yes. matter. I'm not. I'm getting thrown in jail because I'm sick. Yeah. You know, and it's like that's not going to get me better. You know, that's there's other ways to do that. Plus the expense and the whole deal that goes along with that incarceration, the wreckage of the family, like you said, mm -hmm. the are the, the people who are the collateral damage in the periphery. Yes. Because of that. Well, and here's where I'm at with it is, you know, with my daughter being, she's been in, in and out of, she's went through recovery, she's had relapse, she's she's back on her feet again now. Uh, the, her next step is she's got, she's at that jumping off point. She's either going to OD and die or she's going to go to prison because she's gotten three OWIs in the last five years and or she's going to make it. And she's right now at that point to where that's where I had to be to make it. I don't know what her future holds, but I know as a parent, it's been the worst pain I've ever felt in my life of being a parent of an addict. Being an addict was the easy part. Yeah. Being a parent of an addict is the most painful thing, but I also know that uh, she's uh, that's God's will. And if I believe in God's will with everything in me, with all my heart, why am I out here trying to fix, manage, control her life anyway? Yeah. So after her last relapse, I completely turned it over, and I'm powerless, and uh, I can make suggestions, but I have to get out of the way. Yeah. It's all on her. Yeah, that's... Okay, uh, I'll hesitate to say it because I'm worried a little bit of manifestation kind of stuff. But uh, my kids are young enough that I'm not there. Uh, but I see things that scare me. <laughs> well, I'm going to tell you, and, it's uh, terrifying. It really is, but you have to come. You have to um, You have to give it to God and really mean it. And, and, uh, yeah, I mean, that's... Yeah, it's that those lines, you know, that powerful book of 1935. The things like, you know, uh, you're gonna have to is is God real or not? You know, yeah. it's uh, a couple so other ones come across to my head while we were sitting while you were while you were sharing. But so, uh, do you want to introduce Samantha, a volunteer? Or? Sure, Samantha. Would you like to talk a little bit? What we have here is uh, Samantha's here with uh, with with Lisa and I, and she's been sitting here listening to to, to Lisa's tell her story, and I can tell that uh, she's uh, emotional. That's one of the reasons why there's actually usually a limit to how long it takes. It's about how long I can go without a bathroom break too. So, I, uh, so Lisa's gonna step out for a minute, but Samantha's here. You have to pull that close to you, like about this far away is the best way. Good. So, would you like to introduce what you do here and what are you, maybe, whatever. Why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself? <laughs> All right. My name's Samantha. Um, my sobriety date is June 1st, 2015. Um, my drug of choice was heroin, pretty much everything but opiates. Uh-huh. Um, I started using whenever I was 19. I got pregnant and I had 
my son, and I ended up having congestive heart failure. Oh, wow. And I didn't know I was dying, and I went back to the hospital the next day, and um, I had a lot of PTSD from that. And I had a C-section, so they gave me pain relievers, mm-hmm. and I realized that quieted everything in my mind, yeah. all the anxiety, all, all that. And I was just off and running from there. I mean, and it, it took a lot. It took me losing my kids, being homeless, um, losing everything. And um, I went to Indianapolis uh, to Harbor, is it Harbor, Harbor Lights? Have you heard of that place? I have not. Yes. And um, it was actually a faith-based recovery. Mm-hmm. And it was amazing. It changed everything for me. And... Um, I was listening, we were listening to Big Daddy Weave Redeemed, and I just had, I don't know how to explain it, but I just felt the most calm I've ever felt in my life, and I just, I was bawling, crying, and I was shaking, but I was calm, and God just told me, you're going to be okay. Wow. We, We got this. You don't have to worry anymore. And I've been sober ever since. Very cool. So how did you end up down here? Um, Is this where you're from? Yes. Okay. But okay, she I'm was sorry. up to Indianapolis. No, I mean, yeah, we, yeah. I'm and from I'll Jefferson tell you, Hill. just just as a just as a opener, you know, I really am uh, interested because in, uh, I struggle to get female recovery stories. I don't yes. really know exactly what is up with that exactly, <laughs> but I would uh, I would I will put an open invitation to people who have have a recovery story to tell. I want to hear them because I think that needs to be out there for Absolutely. other people. Uh, there's a and, and I guess maybe I'd say it this way. Um, the recovery stories that are out on available out on the net, frankly, are a little dated, not unlike the big book in the language in the big right. book. A lot of people today have trouble getting their heads around those older stories and that older type of recovery that was going on. There's something completely different going on today. Absolutely. And, and, and that's another one of my missions here is like to update this recovery message. Right. Uh, and, and bring it forward. You just have trouble relating to some old dude that's talking in 1950 about. Exactly. Because things are way different yeah. today. So I would like to hear your entire story. That's what that got around to to come full circle back would be an invitation to, to tell your story on the podcast. Uh, okay. So I don't want my point here is, is we're probably not going to get into a complete right. thing. Oh, yeah. Definitely. But so you went in, you were from here and mm-hmm. you ended up going to Indianapolis for recovery and then you came back here after. Yes. I just went there for detox, actually. Okay, all right. And then I came home. Yeah, I came back here. So mm-hmm. were you a resident here? I was not. Okay. I did not do a halfway house. Um, I wish that I would have. I was being too stubborn. <laughs> you get a sisterhood here yeah. that's just incredible, and I missed out on that. Well, you know, uh, I fell into a brotherhood of men in my home group that are not like that, and it's everything to me because, like, this whole community thing is this—, this uh, this uh, level where we're willing to step in front of bullets for one another. I mean, Absolutely. I mean, a, a, a closeness, a community. The blue book says something in the back of it that I always like to talk about. It says he will help you, and you know, and when it says he, it's referring to God, higher power. He will help you create the fellowship you crave. And I've heard a speaker from that had a touch on me, touch me, say, I never knew that's really what I was craving that whole time when I was using and mm-hmm. doing all the things I was doing. What I was really craving was a connection with god's other children right and through recovery and these guys that are in my life today so i can understand how when you come into a place like this and you get well it's a battle buddy kind of thing it's like coming out of war together and you've bonded when you do that i think oh yeah that's my perspective 
but I'm grateful for Lisa and her letting me come and do some service work here yeah. and spend time with these girls because yeah. then I get a little bit of piece of that, you know, a little piece of that. Yeah. So what do you do here specifically? I you monitor. I just come and make sure the girls are, you know, following the rules and doing what they're supposed to be doing and keep an eye on them. We certainly I need guess. that. That's a big thing of uh, recovery is uh, uh, instilling some discipline. Yeah. You know, uh, can, can you be where you said you're going to be? Are you doing what you said you're going to be doing? Right. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. So I've had an opportunity to be down here a couple of times and uh, um, actually had a sponsee of mine uh, spoke here at one of the meetings uh, one night that I came and sat in on. Uh, I think it was a Thursday. I can't remember if it was a Thursday night. I don't remember, but there was a meeting that he uh, got invited to to share down here. And he said uh, to, that I could come with him. And it's another one, some more of this. Um, some people would like to call them coincidences when I get to come down and hear my sponsee share his message in a because it's a little bit contrary you know he's a to come down here and he shares his message to uh the women in a women's recovery home which uh there's some things behind that 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 are bigger than us too that uh was really cool so thank you for sitting in here thank you for sharing your recovery with you with us a little bit um one of the things i do is at the very end if there's any concluding thoughts lisa or samantha either one if you have a concluding thought any kind of thing you want to like close with uh and if you don't that's okay too i tell you what i really just been totally uh, you have to pull that closer to you if you're going to talk to it too um um I really have enjoyed sitting here with you today. Uh, I really do feel you know, some kind of, you, you might, I, I just feel drawn to it. I just felt a connection with you from the beginning, you know, and I, and I, and, and it's just, it just touches my heart to, to be a witness to what God does through other people and to be able to, you know, like I said, I want to make sure that what I'm sharing on here, I want to be real clear that none of this is me. You know, I am not Amen. capable. <laughs> I will make sure, it sounds a lot because I'm doing a lot of me, I talk right mm-hmm. i'm sharing my experience but uh, i try to be real clear that this is not me yes well I, I feel there's a connection too dan because uh a lot of times you know i look back on the people that i first met in recovery that made an impact on me and you have as well you and happy and yeah. uh, a lot of people that i met back then it seems like we kind of hang on to that and especially that we're growing we're growing together you know we're both sitting here six years later still sober still helping others and uh you know i i love y'all and uh it's like we're a little family but uh, my last thing to say would be um if you're struggling with addiction or alcoholism or whatever you know your problem is uh we love you and we'll love you back to life and uh get help uh if you go somewhere and you don't feel the connection go somewhere else don't give up and thank you for asking me to be on your show. Yeah, well, thank you. I always close, uh, and I took this from Happy, and I could, what's funny, little thing is, uh, I'm starting to get, to, and I feel, I'm just embarrassed, I have trouble saying, so at times people, I picked up some things and said it that I picked up from somebody else, right? I've never made any of this stuff up, but Happy pointed at me one time when I was struggling, and he knew it, you know, because we see through, they see through us when I'm trying to pretend like I'm okay, and he pointed at me, and, and I was really offended, and he kind of pointed at me, and he said, "You," he said, thing is, Dan, he said, you must participate in your own recovery. 
you know, and today I say when I close and I share and I things, I say thank you for allowing me to participate in my recovery today. Amen. And uh, and, and that's become a closing thing. And I was at a meeting yesterday, and the, and the speaker closed with that and winked at me when he when he said uh-huh. that. You know, so I always close my podcast saying that, and I took it from Happy. Happy's taught me a lot of things, and that's yes. another one of the close people who have uh, impacted my recovery greatly you know there's a there's a really giant pile of people that impacted my recovery mm-hmm. uh, i wish i could like you know I, I try to make sure we call it good amends to make sure and go thank those people uh for 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 having that impact on me you know instead of yes. not you know I'm gonna, I'm gonna go do my amends to the people that are hurt and harmed yes but i think it's equally important to go around and thank the people that have the had the positive impact on me too and, and we yes. count that as amends in our lives um i will hit one more thing thank you so much for being here uh i've just uh, i have a feeling and i'm, I'm gonna leave it off the tape um spiritualunderground.org you can go out there see uh pictures and uh links to the in some show notes and, and links to the podcast and there's again once i want to make sure that i, I tell you that there's a, a contact me page in there that you can email me uh, if, if I can help you in your recovery or if I can point you in a direction, I want to be able to do that. And if, uh, and also, uh, I invite feedback. Let me know what you think about the podcast. Some, uh, what you like, what you don't like. That's the only way I can get better. Uh, music is by Darren Frank wrapped around both sides of this podcast. Uh, any more information on him? You can use that contact me page. 12 step spiritual recovery by James Christopher Cohn is available at amazon.com. Um, and dtmww.net dtm woodwork uh lisa let me hit uh, just real quick the breakaway there's ways to to for those who feel drawn to uh donate uh whatever contribute to these efforts that you have that are that are saving lives i'm going to put that stuff in the show notes so people hear that uh do you want to run down a little list of the things you're involved in real quick just so we can get them one more time on the air and uh and then also that'll help me go back and make sure you give me all the information later okay uh basically uh it's a breakaway recovery home uh in new albany indiana and i think the it's ww uh breakaway recovery new albany i think i'm sorry i'll have to get i will get those Uh, links and they'll be on the notes i'll have it to where people can click Uh, on those things and then also um there's a grace house which is a women's recovery home uh in crawford county it's in marengo indiana Uh, they need a lot of support too so if they're if you're from that area and you need some help that's a good place to go um and then the Constructing Our Future, which is a, you was going to get that link on there too, in Indianapolis, yep. which is a good thing for women. This is all women recovery-based things. Um, the breakaway phone number is 812-941-4177 is our office number. If you would like to call Janice B. Uh, and ask for applications, come over and talk with us and see about getting on our waiting list. We do have a waiting list because it's an action thing. You have to you have to be clean and sober for 30 days. Uh, we are we our waiting list fluctuates uh so if you're really serious about your recovery and you want to come by and see us uh write us letters uh for people incarcerated or you know come and show how bad you want it you know and and miracles happen every day yeah uh so that's about it thank you cool thank you so much lisa uh i can say with my heart today you know and you said it earlier uh i don't know that i ever could truly love people before recovery and I love you, Lisa. It's uh, been a pleasure to walk beside you and watch what you're doing. Thank you, Dan. I love you, too.
It's time to put away 